got uh, three questions, three questions just to start off uh, for you this morning. Question number one, does adversity bring you closer to God or further away from Him? Does adversity soften your heart or does it harden your heart? The second one is almost the opposite. What about prosperity? Does prosperity bring you closer to God or away from God? I've always thought that it's hard to be an atheist in a delivery room, although I'm sure there have been a few. But in your greatest moments in life, is God there with you? And then finally, does the knowledge of your own sin lead to repentance or to more sin? When I was, uh, when I was 12, I did an AI course. Anyone know what AI is? Artificial insemination. So basically what you were given was, I went to a course, went for a week. I was 12 and I had no idea what was going on, let me tell you. So you're given a glove and then you're given a gun. And then we had all these dairy cows lined up in all these stalls and you went for it for a whole week. And I had no idea what was happening. Now, I can't remember which day it was, but there was this little Jersey cow, okay? And uh, I was practicing on her. And when I withdrew from this little Jersey cow, she emptied herself totally on me, from my nose to my toes, okay? Now, I hope you don't take this the wrong way, but I actually love cow turd. I think it smells nice, okay? It's kind of got this nice aroma to it. When I was growing up, you go to Sydney's show and everyone would kind of walk in to the stalls or the city people and go, ooh, like this, and I'd walk in and go like that. It's a, it's a nice thing. But anyway, the contents of this Jersey cow's four stomachs was not nice. It was pretty ordinary, and I was covered for quite a while. Psalm 130 starts off like a lot of Psalms do, Psalms do, with someone that's in it fairly deep. Out of the depths I cry to you. Now, that's an analogy, obviously. It's not actually referring to someone that's covered in cow poo. It's a, it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor. But where does a metaphor come from? Because metaphors are based on something. Like, is it based in someone being stuck in the town sewage pit? Someone is down in it deep? Or is the metaphor based on just someone being in a hole in a ground, kind of like a grave where you'd go at death? Or a well where Joseph was put, left to die? Is that where it comes from? Now, it comes from something, from one of those. It probably doesn't matter too much which of those areas the analogy, the metaphor comes from. But what matters is that the situation is hopeless. The situation is no good at all. So this person, they are out in the depths. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears to be attentive to my cry. Now, I left one word off there. Does anyone know what word I left off? Someone said it? Mercy. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. See, mercy is the thing for which we have to come to God. Now, if you have never in your life metaphorically been in a deep pit, well, you should go home and thank the Lord because you've led a very blessed life. But all of us, to a certain extent, I'm sure have, some more than others, have been in this pit, have been at an incredibly low point. 
Now, we can get at these terrible positions, these terrible points in life, I think, for three different reasons. Sometimes it's because of our own sin. The guilt of a fence-jumping husband can go into a, a downward turmoil. And I, I know someone that's, that's been in that situation. They do not profess to have a faith, but it ruined their life because of the guilt of their own sin. Or sometimes you might end up in a pit because of someone else's sin. Being stuck in a war zone right now um, would be a good example of that. Or the pain caused to people from relationship breakdown. Sometimes it's because of someone else. But then other times you might just end up in a deep pit, not necessarily because of your own sin, but just because of circumstances in life, because of what life is like. And my best man, when we got married, his dad died when he was five. That put him and his brothers in a deep pit. It was nothing that they had done. It was just because the world was ruined. Now, it's both sad and understandable that church attendance goes up during war times. When people reach the end of themselves, sometimes it's the only time that they'll actually consider the power and the authority and the comfort of God. Mercy. When I cried out of the depths, I cried to you, O Lord. Hear my, o Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. It's a cry out to God. Now, some teenage boys, some that, some that I know, they play this game. It's called a nipple cripple, where they grab another boy on that part of his chest and they, they do it to each other at the same time, and they twist, and the first one to call mercy loses. And then you have to let go when somebody submits, when somebody, when somebody gives in. Now here, mercy, why is mercy called there? Because mercy is called in that instance because you lose. Here, mercy is called because it's the only option. It's a recognition that God is supreme and that God can help whatever the situation is. Now, some people think they don't need God's mercy, so they don't ever bother calling for it. But according to the Bible, all people need God's mercy. They need his help. Like Peter said to Jesus, where else have we to go? For you alone have the words of eternal life. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever heard anyone say this. When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God or I'm going to tell God. You know, that idea that, you know, I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to look at him eye to eye and I'm going to give him a gobful. You know, kind of like you would to a, an incompetent politician. I'm going to tell him, tell him what I really think. And it might sound like a good idea, but it's actually garbage. In Philippians 2, it makes it very clear that all people, all people, whether they previously believed in Jesus or not, will only do one thing when they come before God. They will bow down because it's the only thing that you can do. Listen to what it says in verse 3. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? Who can look God in the eye and say, I am good enough to be on your level? Nobody can. Nobody can. Now, God does keep a record of sins, but the great news of the Bible is then he deals with that record of the sins. He takes it as far away as the east is from, from the west. Now, I'm not sure uh, if I've shared this before. Um, tough luck. Sermons are a little bit like marriage. There's no new material. Um, the fifth most memorable event of my life, okay, and this is, this is fair income. The fifth most event, memorable event of my life was when Fiji won the gold medal 
in the rugby sevens at the Olympics in Brazil. That was uh, an incredible moment for me. Something happened after they won, when they were awarded, um, when they were awarded their gold medals. They bowed down before Princess Anne. Every medal that they received in Fijian culture, when the king comes, when the chief, not the king, the chief comes, the Uro, when they come, you bow down and you don't look up at them. You bow down on your knees with your hands up like this in submission. That's what you do in Fijian culture to the chief. And I think it's a beautiful picture of what we will do before the Lord. No one will look God in the eye and give him a gobful. We'll all bow down in worship. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? The answer, question, and the answer is obvious, no one. No one can stand before God. No one. Now, one of the, uh, one of the words that gets passed around a fair bit of election time is this idea of, does it pass the pub test? You may or may not have heard it. Depends how much nerd TV you watch. Oh, I watch a bit. Um, and it's kind of, what does the average Australian think? Would, would that pass? Now, a lot of people um, probably think that God isn't real, but just in case he is real, I'll be okay because I'll pass God's pub test because I'm a good bloke. And being a good bloke is good enough. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? Being a good bloke is not enough. Trusting in Jesus is the only thing that is enough. None of us can stand before God because of our sin. Now, this, there's actually a, a, a context to this psalm. It's a song of ascent. Now, for an able-bodied Jewish person, once a year they were meant to go to Jerusalem to worship God. Now, ascent, Jerusalem's kind of like on the hill, so the psalms, the song of ascent is when you're going up to worship. So these were the songs that they'd recite as they were going up to, to worship. And people would be very much reminded as they're going to worship in God's house, so to speak, as it was thought, that they were going to a place where they were not worthy. That they were going to a place where God was supreme and where they had to bow down in worship. That's where they were going. But they were also going for something else, for forgiveness. Have a look at verse 4. But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. So you contrast that to verse 3, where the record of sins, if God kept a record of sins, you're up the creek without a paddle, you're done for, but here then God deals with those sins. So he just doesn't leave us in this situation where we're full of sin and, and without hope. He deals with the situation. But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. The word fear is an interesting word. If you look at uh, Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus is being tempted by the devil, and Jesus says to the devil, um, it is written, go away from me, it is written, worship the Lord and serve, serve the Lord your God and worship him only. And he's quoting Deuteronomy. If you go back to Deuteronomy, it actually says, worship the Lord and fear him only. So Jesus takes this Old Testament word fear and fills it in in colour for us and shows us that it's actually the word worship. And worship and godly fear, when you think about it, they're actually very close. They're actually the same because all worship is, is recognizing the truth. And all godly fear is, is about recognizing the truth as well. But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are to be feared, therefore you are to be worshipped. 
And then the psalmist goes on and says this, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits and in his word I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Uh, tomorrow uh, is Anzac Day. Um, I, uh, I actually like watching war movies, but not to be entertained. You know how sometimes you might want to watch a movie to be entertained? I, I actually like to watch movies to be, to be challenged. Um, and when I watch movies concerning World War I and World War II especially, I'm haunted by this one question. And that question is, would I have gone? Would I have been on the boat at Gallipoli? If I was born at a different time and a different place, would I have gone? And the answer is probably, for most able-bodied men, the answer is yes, we would have. Look, in, in, in Ukraine at the moment, if you're 18 to 50, you, you, you're automatically in. Would I have gone? And it's something that, that often, I often think about that. Now, in military conquest, often military conquest is at night because it gives an element of surprise. Now, if you were stationed somewhere at night, an attack was imminent, I can never say that word or spell it, what would you want? All you would want would be daylight. If you thought someone was about to attack and it's dark, you'd just want daylight so that you knew that you were safe for the next, for another day. Now that, that absolute longing for daylight to come is the absolute longing here for the Lord to bring about deliverance. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. This person is waiting and trusting on God for what he has done and for what he will do. More than a watchman waits for the morning. And just in case you didn't get it, more than the watchman waits for the morning. That's how much this person is trusting and wanting God to come and fulfill his promises. To pull this person out of the pit, to give them forgiveness. In his word, I put my hope. And then it says, O Israel, put your hope in the Lord. Now, sometimes Israel is, is like physical kind of land mass in the Bible. Sometimes it's speaking of the descendants of Abraham. And sometimes it's just more generically speaking of God's people. And I think it's, it's that final one here in the context of, of which is, O Israel, O God's people, put your hope in the Lord. You know, you know the light bulb moment? You know that, that light bulb moment? Well, when I was doing my AI course, I had a light bulb moment. On about day four, okay, they came in, they'd been to the abattoirs and they brought these cervixes in from the abattoirs and they just put them down on the table and said, and I was like, oh, is that all I'm doing? I'm just going through that. And then I understood. I, it, it was amazing. I had no, literally, I had no idea what was going on for the first three days. Then on day four, it just absolutely clicked. Um, when I was, uh, sorry if that's a, not a good illustration. I think it's a good illustration. Well, I tell you what, when I was seven, when I was seven, do you want me to go back? I mean, I'm not sure. I don't find it offensive, but some people might. Uh, when, uh, when I was seven, I was sitting in church with my nan and pa and old matey up the front was going on about Jesus and how he died for your sins and you should give your life to him and trust in him. And I had a light bulb moment. From that moment on, I knew that Jesus was God and that he had died for my sins. Okay, and that's what the, that's what the, the person who writes his psalm wants for Israel. They want them to have a light bulb moment. 
And we should pray for our families and our friends and our acquaintances that they would have these moments. Oh, Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord, there's a reason for it. For with the Lord is unfailing love. And with him is full redemption. Full redemption. Full forgiveness. I once heard someone say that going to heaven is a little bit like, you know, a thousand steps, right? And Jesus does the first 999 and then we do the final step. And at the time, I thought that sounded okay. But then I've come to realise it's actually rubbish. We don't contribute to our salvation one little bit. We just respond to God's salvation. For with the Lord is full redemption. Not most redemption and then we have to do something. All we have to do is respond. That's nothing to do with, with how we are saved. That's just our response to what God has done for us. Our response. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. Not just forgiveness for some of the sins I've done. Not just forgiveness for the little sins or the ones that someone knows about. But full redemption. Forgiveness for all of our sins. And obviously, once we've accepted the forgiveness of our sins, that changes our life. And that shows that we've accepted it by the fact that it changes our life. Verse 8, I love, I love verse 8, Psalms. There is so much about Jesus in the Psalms. And, and verse 8 looks forward to Jesus. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will, will redeem Israel from all their sins. He himself. Now, I love delegation. My wife, Lisa, who's, she's in Sydney this weekend, for those of you that don't know her, she calls my delegation palming. Now, most of the time, my wife is correct, but I think she's a bit hard on me on that front. I call it delegation. I love delegation. I mean, how good is it when you can get someone else to do something for you that you don't want to do yourself? According to the Bible, God delegates to his people to care and subdue the world. God delegates to his people to care for the vulnerable. God delegates to his people to represent him well in the world that we're living in amongst people who don't believe in him. But there's something that God never delegates to anyone. To pay the price for sins. And that's because no one is capable of doing it but God himself. He himself. He himself will save, will redeem Israel from all their sins. Now, why is God the only one that's capable of doing that? Because sin is against God. Sin has consequences for other people when we do it, but ultimately it's God that has revealed his will to us and how we should live. So sin is against God. You know, when Jesus heals a paralytic and they, 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 the Pharisees, they say to him, who is this? You know, he blasphemes. Only God can forgive sins. Well, the Pharisees were actually right on one account that, yes, only God can forgive sins. But they were wrong in not understanding that Jesus is God and that he proved that he was God by his life, but ultimately by his resurrection from the dead. Sin is against God, so only God can forgive sin. Only Jesus can, by his resurrection, can re re reverse death. It's only his sacrifice that is sufficient.
He himself will redeem Israel from their sins. Does adversity bring you closer to or further away from God? When I was young, I I watched my uncle and auntie mourn the death of my cousin. And I, I, I cannot comprehend how hard that would have been for them. But I didn't see them throw away their faith. I saw them grow closer to the Lord. Does adversity bring you closer to God or away from him? Because this psalm tells us it should bring us to God because God is the only hope for us in terrible adversity. Does prosperity bring you closer to God or further away from him? Uh, there's a, 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 um, a, a proverb that, that says, Lord, please don't make me poor so I have to steal and dishonour you, but please don't make me so rich that I'm proud and disown you. Does prosperity bring you closer to God? So from a, from a farmer's point of view, am I, do I pray for rain more when it's dry or do I thank the Lord more for rain when it's wet? Or you find that your situation in your life for that one. Prosperity is so easy to forget God, but we're told to remember who he is. And finally, does the knowledge of your sin lead you to repentance or to more sin? Whoever wrote this psalm, whatever their sins are, we don't know, we're not told. But I see a picture here of someone that is coming to God for full redemption because that's the only place that they could get it. As Peter said to Jesus, where else have we to go because you alone have the words of eternal life? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your kindness and goodness to us in Jesus. I pray that you would help us all to come to you in times of adversity and to come to you in times of prosperity and to repent and turn in times of sin. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.